0: I have been thinking about how to approach this episode for a little while now. I've come close to recording it a couple of times, and then I have put it off. I think I've realized I am a little bit scared, scared of how it'll land, and of what you'll think of me after you listen to it. There is a good chance that You don't actually want to listen to the rest of this because I'm going to talk about sex in poetry and you know me as Alice Allen, the podcaster, who is something of a shambolic, self-doubting mess and you just might not want to hear me talk about sex and you might know me in a totally different context and you might be like, wow, that's going to be really uncomfortable, (laughs) in which case you should jump out now. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week with a very straightforward interview. I have some really cool guests coming up. Um, there's heaps of other good shows out there. Go listen to, uh, go listen to the um, in our time about John Donne. It's really good. It's uh, it's definitely worth your while. So why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? <laughs> Do you hate it when? People who make stuff online will kind of come at their thing that they're doing that day or that week with this whole like burden of like, oh, guys, it's so hard for me. (laughs) It's really I've really got to tackle a really difficult topic today. And you're just like, no, you don't (laughs) go do go do anything else. (laughs) But yeah, this is a task I've set myself. Um, It's an idea that I have been. Mulling over for some time, the idea comes from a conversation I had quite a few months back with Matthew and Cameron from Slee Ricketts about whether there is such a thing as a poem that can actually get you hot and bothered. Can you write a good sex poem? Can you write a poem that will actually elicit that kind of response in a reader? And we batted this around for a few emails and basically we decided, nah can't be done too hard. No one's done it well. Many have tried, but it is not possible. And I wasn't entirely satisfied with that. And I thought about trying to make this episode and I chickened out and then I ended up making the episode about fury and why fury is a difficult Emotion, difficult feeling to actually get into a poem. It's hard to capture because it's not a very controlled emotion. It's basically not controlled at all. And for me at least, I think so often poetry requires some level of control. And I think there are similarities when it comes to sex or what Mark Ford um, of the Close Readings podcast, another podcast you could go and listen to if you don't want to listen to this one. Um, Mark Ford would term, in his beautiful accent, the erotic. Um, That kind of thing, it's sort of in the same category as Fury for me. It is possible to get it into a poem, but it's not easy. And I've been wondering, how do you get the erotic onto the page and not just end up in Mills and Boone or Twilight or Fifty Shades of Grey? Gray places his hands for a moment on my shoulders. I gasp at the contact. If he notices my reaction, he gives nothing away. His long index finger presses the button summoning the elevator, and we stand waiting, awkwardly on my part, coolly self-possessed on his. The doors open and I hurry in, desperate to escape. I really need to get out of here. When I turn to look at him, he's gazing at me and leaning against the doorway beside the elevator with one hand on the wall. He really is very, very good looking. (laughs) It's unnerving. (laughs) I did look up the current Mills and Boone categories, and they have gotten very specific. There is an intrigue category, so it's a sexy mystery. There is a romantic suspense category. There's a medical category. <laughs> Sexy doctors. And there's even a Western category. Sexy cowboys. Given that, given the the existence of something like Mills and Boone or Fifty Shades, clearly words on a page are enough to get somebody hot and bothered. When it comes to... Poetry, I think it might be one of the quietest of the art forms, right? Like, usually you don't even have characterization or narrative or just volume of words to work with. It's just a few words, usually, on a page. But it can happen. It can work. As Mark Ford brings up every single time... He is in a room with Seamus Ferry and they record that show, Close Readings. The erotic (laughs) exists in poetry, but what's happening? How's that working? This is Sappho 130, translated by Anne Carson. Eros, the melter of limbs, now again stirs me. Sweet bitter unmanageable creature who steals in. This is a challenge I have set myself. And I am not asking for your, uh, your pity or even your forbearance or even your interest. But I am finding this difficult to talk about. Um, I don't even usually talk about sex with my girlfriends, to be honest. The closest I would come probably would be, I've had a very long standing group chat with a couple of girlfriends uh, who I used to work with. And occasionally one of us will message the other two being like, Oh my God, there's a really hot tradie here and I have not showered. What the fuck do I do? I'm hiding in the bedroom. Help me. (laughs) This is about the level that I'm at usually. I suspect that none of us really talk about sex as much as we imagine everybody else does. But of course I know, like, it shouldn't be embarrassing. I shouldn't feel shy. There's no reason not to talk about this. Holy Sonnet 14 by John Donne. Batter my heart, three-personed God, for you, as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand, overthrow me, and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. I, like a usurped town, to another Jew, labor to admit you, but oh, to no end. Reason, your viceroy in me, me should defend, but is captived and proves weak or untrue. Yet dearly I love you, and would be loved, fain, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie, or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. One of my very favourite books that I own is a collection of emails between Kathy Acker and the Australian academic Mackenzie Walk uh, that they wrote to each other between 1995 and 96. It's purely just a collection of those emails. It's called I'm Very Into You. And there's no narrative except the one that you kind of piece together slowly as you read through these emails that they start sending each other and they start sort of slow and formal and then pretty quickly they are sending multiple emails a day. They're overlapping time zones because Kathy's in the US and Mackenzie's here in Australia. And they're just flying back and forth between each other. And basically the, the reason that they are connected in this way is that they've met up somewhere before the book starts and they hooked up and now they're just emailing like crazy. I love this book. It's a really important document to me. I love looking at two people who care about words, trying to impress and and seduce each other. They're sending each other lyrics They're making way too many references to French theorists. They're saying the wrong thing. They're asking too much of each other. They're apologizing. They're circling each other. There are points when you realize that they've actually had a phone call once or twice and they do see each other again and they do hook up again. But you get the sense that really the best part of the relationship is happening in their inboxes. A little bit like with Robert Lowell and Elizabeth Bishop, obviously not a sexual relationship as far as we know. But um, yeah, there's, there's an intellectual intimacy there that they are both really, really enjoying even though it's complicated and difficult and they probably don't want quite the same thing. They just can't turn away from it. Sydney is a pretty queer town too, but if anything, that's now part of the problem, the gay lesbian power centres have realised they have power, and are using it to exclude, thus making them feel more powerful. And penny finally dropped for me about something, Sabina uses sex for advancement, but the way a man if would. If I got that from just a three-night stand, what must there be between you and Sabina? What does Baudelaire say? The lovers come face to face, eye to eye, and in an instant one blinks, and in that instant it is decided, who shall be love's victim, and who love's execution. I prefer disavowal of being man or of man, because drag is perfection of the feminine makes me hate the feminine even more. I don't want that. But then sometimes I fetishize the masculine, spreading legs and drinking beer and grunting and sweating and being the stupid. The refusal of the categories is in the long run more important than the affirmation of the opposite pole, be it a feminist or a gay separatist. I miss you too, but I haven't got that far in the book yet. How can a body become something out of itself? as pure imminence rather than in relation to the other? That's the question. Memory is redundant. It repeats signs so that the city can begin to exist. Every time you dream, I am fucking you. Every time you, you dream, I am fucking you. This is what happens. You. This is what happens. Hard to say what Mackenzie Walk thinks of that now. I imagine she has mixed feelings, to say the least. But look, if you can get a copy of this thing, I'm very into you. It has an afterword by John Kinsella, which blows my mind. <laughs> it's, yeah, really, it's really weird, but um, yeah, I've got a copy. I found it in a record shop. I keep going to give it to people and then thinking, oh no, I, I'm just going to keep that one for myself. Another book I've been thinking about is one that used to be in all the bookshops here in Melbourne for a number of years, like, as long as I can remember, really was a collection called Love and Fuck Poems by Coralie Dimitriadis. I noticed recently that there is this deluxe edition of the book out there. It's not only had a long publication life, but it's had a... It's had such an impact that it's been reissued. I can't think of many other poetry books where that's happened. Clearly, it's working for some people. The Shirt by Jane Kenyon The shirt touches his neck and smooths over his back. It slides down his sides. It even goes below his belt, down into his pants. Lucky shirt. But how could you possibly pin down what it is that is happening in a poem that has an erotic charge? Because that thing is gonna be different for everybody. Like one of the very first podcasts I ever got into was Dan Savage's show called The Savage Lovecast. And this was an advice show based on his column in The Stranger. And people would call up his hotline. I think it was called The Savage Love Line. And they would record their questions about their various sexual difficulties. Slate has a much more boring version of this that they publish now. But yeah, Savage Lovecast, which I think is still going actually much to my amazement. It was just no holds barred. You know, it was probably, this would have been around 2010. I think podcasts felt even more private at that point. And so people would call and they would just let loose about what they were dealing with in their lives, in their sex lives. Dan had heard it all. He had all the answers. Nothing could rattle him. My favourite story was about a woman whose husband was, you know, great husband, great with the kids, uh, absolutely no issues in their marriage at large. But the thing that he was particularly into was he really loved having dessert pies mashed into his face. That was his thing. That was his, um, I guess, fetish. And she was okay with this too. She was totally happy and willing to do that she was what Dan used to call good giving and game her problem was the cleanup she was like there's so much effort I gotta bake all these pies I've gotta like do the actual thing and then afterwards there's like there's pie everywhere (laughs) and it's just it's just taking up a lot of time and Dan had very practical advice he was like look you gotta schedule this you gotta plan for it Maybe put a tarp down and then you just just act like it's a special treat. It's not an everyday thing. You don't have to aim for that. Most of the time he was kind of half laughing at his guests, but he was laughing with them as well. And he was very funny and he was savage, as the name suggests. And listening to that show was a very good education for a very sheltered person like me in the reality that. The erotic works differently for everybody and his line was always just like yeah you got to be good giving and game you know you got to be reasonable but it's different for everyone so you can't pin it down it would be impossible to come up with a set of rules as to what's a good erotic poem versus what's a bad erotic poem her clever hand by dorothy porter My car cassettes clatter at Diana's feet. Don't you listen to boys? I've spent my whole life listening to boys, I answer on feminist autopilot. She crosses her legs. She's wearing a dress. I drive and perv. Her calves do a silky stretch, her hand taut with blue veins, as she slots in Katie Lang. Butch country and western, she murmurs in the raunchy riffs. Don't you ever forget I'm a dyke? She slips her clever hand between my thighs to make me quiet. I tried to find anyone else who had written or spoken about this. I found an article by Mary Carr called Sexual Poetics, but that was actually just a review of a feminist anthology published in 1987. I found something about C.A. Conrad's Sexiest Poem Award from the early 2010s, but it turns out that the sexiest poem was this thing that was given annually to a finely crafted poem demonstrating a fearlessness which confronts injustice. So, yeah, I mean, CA does write about sex, but that's not what they were going for with that award. I started looking around the Harriet blog, which used to be really fun. Back in 2011, they published something about the fact that, something about the Earl of Rochester and the sex poems included in his work. And the article ends with, it's really short, and it just ends with this sentence. Surprise! People have been interested in sex for a long time. Like, they just wouldn't write like that anymore. They got so serious. I also found another Harriet entry about how poets were weirdly... I don't know if they were being employed or it was just something that everybody was doing, but they were giving advice on a sex blog called Nerve.com, which is now Plenty of Fish, the dating site, and Harriet quoted this little joke from a poet called Mark Bibbins: If the Ezra Pound was a sex position, what would it be? It would last longer than it should. You'd never know what's going on, and it would get you thrown in an asylum. Then I read about this poem that Auden wrote under a pseudonym, which has a bunch of different titles, but mostly it's known by the title The Platonic Blow. I'm not going to read the whole thing. When Dan Chasen reviewed it, uh, he was reviewing an anthology of the best American erotic poems. He said, I can't even talk about it here. So I'm with Dan. If you are interested, I will link to it. It's. Look, it's quite terrible and here he was sitting beside me, legs apart. I could bear it no longer. I touched the inside of his thigh. His reply was to move closer. I trembled, my heart thumped and jumped as my fingers went to his fly. I opened a gap in the flap. I went in there. I sought for a slit in the gripper shorts that had charge of the basket I asked for. I came to warm flesh, then to hair. I went on. I found what I hoped. I groped. It was large. Who can say? Who can say whether he expected us to take that seriously? (laughs) Or um, if it was just like an absolutely real experience that he had and he had to put it into this very strange uh, sing-songy kind of rhyme. I don't know. I don't really understand (laughs) a lot of what Auden's doing a lot of the time. Um, It doesn't make me feel anything except for um, like confusion at Auden's creative choices. (laughs) But hey, it might be just your speed. If it is, there is a lot more where that came from. It might be exactly what works for you. What seems amazing to me is like it shouldn't work. Little marks on a page shouldn't be able to have that kind of effect on a person's mind and body. But they can. Isn't that wild? Recreation" by Audrey Lord. Coming together. It is easier to work after our bodies meet. Paper and pen, neither care nor profit, whether we write or not. But as your body moves under my hands, charged and waiting, we cut the leash. You create me against your thighs, hilly with images, moving through our word countries. My body writes into your flesh the poem you make of me. Touching you, I catch midnight, as moon fires set in my throat. I love you flesh into blossom, I made you, and take you made into me." So basically I can't tell you why this works. Maybe this is a case of, of all the deeply personal reasons why a poem might connect with you. This is one of the most personal. It's not easy to put a formula around it. That doesn't make me any less fascinated as to what is actually happening. What is at work? I don't know. I can tell you what works for me, though, is when you don't come at it directly. My favourite scene in The Big Sleep is where, and apparently they filmed this well after the movie was made, and nobody on set, from the director to the gaffer, had any idea what was happening in that goddamn film. They would pass the book around and be like, do you understand this? Nobody seemed to get it. So at the end, they were like, look, okay, we, this movie makes no sense, but um, let's put more sex in it. So they filmed this scene where Bacall meets Bogie for drinks and they have this long conversation about horse racing. Well, speaking of horses, I like to play them myself. But I like to see them work out a little first. See if they're front runners or come from behind. Find out what their whole card is. What makes them run. Find out mine? I think so. Go ahead. I'd say you don't like to be rated. You like to get out in front. Open up a lead, take a little breather in the back stretch, and then come home free. You don't like to be rated yourself. I haven't met anyone yet that could do it. Any suggestions? The poem I really wanted to include here. The poem I spent probably an hour more looking for when I was having that conversation with Matthew and Cameron was, I thought, a poem by David Brooks, but I looked all the way through all my David Brooks collections. I was sure it was in the balcony, but couldn't find it there, can't remember the title, really can't remember much about it at all, except that it's about a fight. And during the fight, the speaker in the poem leaves. And then there are these two lines that the poem ends with. And again, can't find the poem. Can't find it anywhere online. It's not in any book. Not even really sure who wrote it. But I've never forgotten these two lines. When I came back, you'd made eggs and soldiers. On the table, you bit deep into my shoulder. That's all I've got. So that's my favorite sex poem. <laughs> it's two lines long <laughs> and I don't know who wrote it. It just exists in my mind, I guess. Instead, I'm going to give you this one. Obviously owes a lot, more than a lot to Les Murray's An Absolutely Ordinary Rainbow. And you might hate it. You might think, uh, gross. <laughs> what, a, what a horrible, pervy poem. <laughs> uh. Like me, you might find it sweet and, um, like, yeah, just quietly, quietly sexy. Lovers in Wentworth Park There's a couple making love in Wentworth Park, not under a tree or beneath the arches of the old dockyard railway, but in the full late autumn sun at the northern end of the football field, in the large open space beside the greyhound track in clear view of the serried townhouses and the thousand high-rise windows on the city side. Whether stoned or exhibitionist or just drunk on each other, it's impossible to tell. The park is almost deserted, just a few dog walkers like ourselves and the occasional office worker transecting the sports fields on their way to St. John's Road. But we all try to act as if they were not there while giving them the widest berth as if they were a bomb that might explode on us, or we may not be able to help ourselves. From the corner of my eye, I see her straddling him, rising and falling in play like waves on a beach, rearing, arching, plunging in. Only the dog won't dissemble. Though we take him to the far side of the park, turn our backs on them, throw the ball always away, In his canine fascination for strange things human, he does his level best to hurt us back again. Determined to investigate, knows at their parts, confused when we put on his lead and won't let him stray. When we leave, they are in our way. We walk almost directly past, and I can see, though they are still fully clothed, how deeply entwined they are, grinding slowly in their nearly copulation, Eyes lost in each other's hair, her short skirt ridden fully up, his hand at a hole in her thick black tights just there. We are such simple creatures. As we walk back along Bellevue Street and climb the long Dargan Stair, I am raging for you. So I've been sitting on this for about four days. I'm still feeling a bit weird about putting it out, but I don't know, I've run out of time, and, uh, yeah. What would Dan Savage do? I found a clip of him talking about poetry, actually. It takes time and thought to acquire some skills. Nobody can play a violin perfectly the first time they pick it up. A human being, with its genitals and its erogenous zones and its nerve endings and its feelings and its erotic imagination is a lot more complicated than a violin, but people have it in their heads that they should be able to play that human being the first time they pick him up in a bar. You said you're an English major? Tell me, was it Charlotte Bronte, Jane Austen, or Thomas Hardy who first made you fall in love with literature? Hardy. Clearly this is not true, right? I would have guessed Jane Austen. Hardy? Mr. Grayson. I hope you got everything you needed. I, I think you only answered four questions.